0: Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Garner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never ending quest to
1: rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old fashioned, randomly selected comic book
0: back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back to the bins.
1: everybody, and welcome to another exciting installment of Back to the Bins. My name is Michael Bailey, and this is episode 66 of the show. And as you may have noticed, I am flying solo this week. Uh, for those of you who didn't catch the announcement on episode 130 of Two True Freaks, Scott is taking a brief hiatus from the various shows that he participates uh, in with both uh, me and, and Chris and Jonah Hex podcast, unfortunately. Uh, but uh, kind of sad about that because, you know, the, the, he asked me to come on and be on the show with him, so I've always considered this kind of his show that I kind of tag along with, but uh, I think we've made it both of ours. So for the next couple of weeks, at least, uh, I'm either going to be alone or I'll have somebody else with me going to the old school. Back to the Bins concept from episodes 18 to 36, where Scott would bring on somebody random, one of our friends in the podcasting community, and I'll be putting that together uh, in the next couple of weeks and such, just as I get things uh, on track here, as I'm kind of deluged with work right now in my personal life, but uh, I'm sure you don't really care about that. I actually had breakfast with Scott this morning as he was heading out of town. Very nice very cool to do that uh, we ate at chick-fil-a so it was a really healthy breakfast as you, as you might imagine we exchanged <laughs> we exchanged parting gifts and it was kind of nice I, I gave him a bunch of stuff that I've had that I thought that he would like and he did the same to me he gave me a uh, we traded some issues of Superman family that each of us needed which is kind of cool. I now have issues 188, 189, and 190 of Superman Family, so that's filling a small little hole in that collection. I'm actually getting really close to completing that collection and some other books that I, I really liked. Plus, the ultimate thing that he gave me was a poster for Invasion, the DC uh, crossover series from the end of 1988. And that is, my, that is not the best DC crossover, but it is my favorite because it was the first one I was around for. Though I guess technically I was around for Millennium, but who cares about Millennium? Besides maybe Steve Englehart and Joe (laughs) Staten. In any case, uh, before I get started into the book that I've brought to the table this week, which is a Marvel book, I I wanted to kind of address something from the last solo episode I did. Uh, A couple weeks back I I talked about... DC Comics Presents number 49, where Superman teamed up with He-Man, and I I went on a little rant, I guess you could call it, about the fact that, you know, He-Man falls into the category of a cartoon that is basically, you know, not really heavily on story, but more on, you know, the event that happens every episode. In He-Man's case, when, you know, Prince Adam holds aloft his magic sword and says, by the power of Grayskull, I have the power... All that kind of stuff and you know i was like i i made this statement don't know remember exactly what i said but i was like i can't watch that now well <laughs> here's the thing folks um i uh i went over to the to the wall of shame as my wife calls it it's a little uh, rack behind me that has all of my comic book uh dvds and all my cartoons and stuff and on that because i bought it years ago for five bucks at walmart it was the best of he-man seasons one and two it was five episodes on each discs and i popped it into the dvd player and son of a bitch if i didn't enjoy it (laughs) took me back to when i was you know seven eight years old nine really enjoying he-man so it turns out that yes virginia i can watch he-man and really really enjoy it in fact i might be tracking down the box sets in the very near future, there are certain locations online where they're very inexpensive, and I'm not talking. And I'm talking like legit ones, not you know from my friend Tor. So I just I just wanted to mention that really quick because usually if I make a, a statement that is later proved to be wrong, I like to give a mea culpa on that on the air. So there is that one for He-Man. He-Man, still love you, baby. In fact, right now I'm looking at. Uh, my sister years ago got me some of the recreations of the figures back in like 2000, 2001 when Masters and all things 80s were coming back into fashion. And I'm looking at Battle Armor He-Man and Battle Armor Skeletor, which is sadly the only version of Skeletor that uh, that I have managed to, uh, to own in my life. I've never had an original Skeletor. Really need to pick up those two. 2-packs from Mattel, the Superman He-Man that has the cover to the DC Comics Presents issue I was talking about, but there's also a Lex Luthor Skeletor 2-pack. God, that thing's neat. It's 30 bucks though, but still, very neat. So with all that out of the way, I guess we can get into the book that I have brought to present to you today. It is a Marvel book. It is a Marvel book from the 80s, and this is a book that is one of the earliest comics I have ever read as in single-issue form. I got it off the rack. I forget where. But I had this issue for years. The copy in my hands is actually a newer copy that I had to buy because I literally read the other one to pieces. Uh, This is a comic that had such a profound effect on on me and and my family that my sisters still remember this, this, this comic. And what I'm talking about is Captain America... Number two ninety-eight from October nineteen eighty-four. It's got a beautiful Paul Neary cover on it that has a a split screen type thing with the, you know it's the Red Skull's face on the left hand side and it's the old shriveled up Red Skull on the right hand side. I guess his skull sense is tingling or whatever. I don't exactly know. It's it's a good artistic choice. And you got Hitler in the upper right hand corner. And you got uh, Captain America and Red Skull duking it out in the lower right-hand corner. And and the the cover text is, At last, the shocking tale of the man behind the mask. The life and times of the Red Skull. Credits on this are J.M. DeMatteis, writer. Paul Neary, penciler. Roy Richards, inker. And this was when Mark Gruenwald was the editor of the series. And the first page says... Walk the winding road to darkness, past the demon gate, beyond the cathedral of the cursed, through the graveyard of lost souls, and you will come to a house. It is an evil house, built by an evil man. For more than forty years he has hidden his face behind a grotesque scarlet mask. But tonight... The Age of Masks has ended, and we are treated to an awesome two-page splash of an old-as-fuck. Herbert the Pervert-looking Red Skull and an aged Captain America facing each other. The Skull's got like a skull pimp cane going on. And the Red Skull tells Captain he is going to tell the Star-Spangled Avenger a story. A story no man, living or dead, has ever heard before. Strum or however you pronounce that I'm sorry I messed that up but I'm just going to keep going The Life and Times of the Red Skull The Skull quickly orders his daughter Mother Superior and Baron Zemo who is of no relation to him out of the room and while they're at it they need to take Nomad dressed as Bucky to where they're holding the Captain's other friends Nomad puts up a fight but after a look from Cap gives up and allows himself to be taken into custody So after mocking Cap's taste in young boys, or rather mocking his selection of partners, the Red Skull leads Captain America to his den, which looks curiously like a bar from pre-World War II Germany, where the Skull, before he was the Skull, would drink himself silly. The Skull taunts Captain America, trying to get a reaction out of the Star-Spangled Adventure, and finally does when the Skull stands up and raises his pimp cane high and rants like Mel Gibson about Jews and blacks and how their groveling idolatry intoxicates Captain America. And finally, both men settle down, and the Red Skull begins his tale, which starts with his birth, a birth that killed his mother, a simple soul who was married to the brutal Herman Schmidt. Despite having brutalized the woman, Herman goes ape shit when his wife dies and tries to drown the child in a wash tub. The doctor saves the baby and act that the skull would like to repay him by killing the old man because he would have preferred to let the young Johann Schmidt perish because the Red Skull is an ungrateful bastard, apparently. The next morning, Herman slits his own throat and thus begins a life of living in orphanages for Johann Smith until the age of seven, when he strikes out on his own. Well, life wasn't all that good for Johann on the streets either, as he was beaten up regularly and found solace only, only in the darkness. Eventually, the boy would become a man, and that man drifted from town to town and jail to jail. What jobs he did get were menial, and the only kindness he was ever shown was from the daughter of a Jewish shopkeeper, and like most socially awkward young men, Johann mistook her kindness for her wanting to knock boots with him, and because he could not woo her with words, he forced himself upon her, and when she spurned his advances, he beat her to death with a shovel. Johann runs into the night and returned to the dark that was his sanctuary. He longed for a mentor, a teacher, to show him the way, much like a terrible 80s song. Eventually, the Nazis took over, and Johann took a job as a bellhop in a fancy hotel. One day, he saw Hitler giving a speech, which made him all weak in the knees, or something like that. And later, he brought Hitler and his buddies some frescas and crackers and easy cheese, and Hitler was just uh, yelling about how incompetent his minions were, and upon seeing Johann, said that he could teach the bellhop to do a better job than any of them. And that was the moment, the moment where Hitler and Johann locked eyes and saw in each other a reflection of the other. And in that moment, Johann Schmidt died and was born again. Hitler's men didn't do all that much uh, with Johann except teach him to goose-step. And at this point, Hitler took matters into his own hands and weeks later unveiled his creation, the Red Skull, And oh, what a great time the Skull had in World War II. Killing people, fighting Captain America, killing more people. Towards the end of the war, Cap and the Skull were locked in yet another to-the-death battle when a blockbuster bomb brought the bunker crashing down on top of them. Meanwhile, Nomad is thrown in with Bernie Rosenthal, Cap's would-be girlfriend, and the Falcon, and in short order, the trio escape. Back at the bar, the Skull reminds Cap how he survived that Bunker Buster bomb thanks to some support beams keeping most of the rubble from killing him and some experimental gas that kept him alive. Eventually, the organization known as Them revived him, and once again, he and Captain America did the try-to-kill-each-other dance of joy. What Cap didn't know was that at some point in the early days of the Skull's revival, the Skull saw a washerwoman that worked in his home that reminded him... Get this, okay, pay attention, this is important. Reminded him of his mother. And he knew in that moment that this woman would be the one to bear his heir. So he sees a woman, the first thing he thinks is, God, that looks like my mother... And the second thing he thinks is, I really need to impregnate that woman. God, that's creepy. So he knocks her up, and history repeats itself with the woman dying in childbirth. And the skull tries to kill the child by throwing her into the sea, but something stayed his hand. And instead of killing his daughter, he taught her to be his heir by stripping her of weakness and filling her with hatred. He also used his deus machina machine to expand her consciousness. I know deus machina is... machine is in there, just go with me on this one. Anyways, he used it to expand her consciousness and genetically accelerated her growth. He did something similar with four orphans and thus was born Mother Superior and her Sisters of Sin, which kind of sounds to me a little like an 80s all-female metal band, which is awesome! Thing is, that even though he did all of that to Mother Superior, she is still just a woman, according to the Skull. And no woman could ever take his place. Which is problematic, because recently, the Skull discovered that the gas that had kept him young was wearing off, and he was dying. Since he doesn't think his daughter can take his place, he thought of Baron Zemo. But it turns out that the Skull thinks Baron Zemo is a tool as well. And by the way, both Zemo and Superior hear all of what the Skull is saying via that kind of rocky horror uh, type uh, closed-circuit uh, television sets that are all throughout the castle. I don't know why the Red Skull would leave these things on, but you know I'm not going to ask such things because I don't want to incur the wrath of the Red Skull. So when the Skull dies, uh, not like he dies in the story, He's this is what the Skull saying. So when he dies, he takes his evil with him, but he will also take one more thing captain america and in the end the red skull demands that cap speak and lash out at him and then gets all pissy because he sees nothing in cap's eyes but compassion so the skull has some errands to run and he will be back soon but when that happens he and captain america will discuss their final battle and the ultimate return to the cold unfeeling dark and there's a little to be continued next the bunker now like i said i had this book when i was a kid Uh, my sisters remember it to this day and I love this story absolutely love it it is everything about the Red Skull that I like and his origin is just so solid there's just all these layers to it I, I, I like the concept that the Red Skull was some guy Hitler randomly picked and it turned out to be the one guy that would buy into the evil and revel in it and just, just his entire backstory where, you know, the, the, the one woman, the one girl that shows him any kind of kindness, and he kills her. He kills her because he can't handle it. I, you know, that, that's my own personal theory, that he was just incapable of loving anybody. So when he fell in love with this girl, it was really like he just was consumed with lust. And when she rejected him, you know, he petered her to death with a shovel. That's like really creepy. Uh, and, and as I kind of uh, alluded to in the synopsis, I am very creeped out that the Red Skull wanted to have the maid who looked like his mom have his kid. Seriously, I mean, I mean, that's what you want? You you, you want to knock boots with your mom? I mean, J.M. Mateus uh, is known for writing psychologically complex stories so I'm sure there was a lot of subtext there about the fact that the one woman that he felt that could have his heir would would look like his mother who when you hear him speak or at least read him speak of her it's like he feels bad for her even though he's a complete prick he still feels bad that his mother was this simpleton as he puts it but still you know, she didn't deserve to be you know married to a complete prick like uh like herman schmidt so oh Johann schmidt though i love it Uh, i I, I don't know if you know this and if you do i do apologize for repeating it but i like the concept that the red skull's name is basically john smith in english and and that's really cool i like that i'm kind of interested in what my friend thomas dj thinks of this this issue because he's a he's been going through the Silver Age Captain America tales on DJ's Comics Cavalcade, so I'd be kind of interested to hear his thoughts on this issue. It is one of my favorites. You know, I like the I like the duality of the Skull's birth and the birth of his daughter and, and everything like that, and, and, and still, all these years later, this story just brings a big old smile to my face. There are some really cool ads in this issue as well. On the inside front cover, you have buckaroo who the designer and driver of the jet car a vehicle able to roar unharmed through solid matter buckaroo who an expert in martial arts particle physics and fluent in a dozen languages buckaroo who an extraordinary brain surgeon buckaroo who leader of the hong kong cavaliers one of the toughest most popular hard-rocking bar bands in east texas buckaroo bonsai that's who an astounding new adventure coming this summer from 20th century fox and soon to be a major marvel comic uh, i like buckaroo bonsai uh it, it's it's a good fun movie it's peter weller ellen barkin clancy brown jeff goldblum don't ask about the watermelon <sighs> great movie you also have an uh, a mail-away ad uh, from Fig Newton's Apple Newton's and Oreo cookies where you can get like a digital watch and toy trucks and toy jeeps and all that and uh, this ad I saw a thousand times when I was a kid the new fantasy adventure series you've been waiting for dragon tales where it's up to you to choose a pathway to the magic realms and that's kind of the tagline of these books it's it's a, it's a fantasy choose your own adventure and I was a big fan of choose your own adventure when I was a kid I, I really was I loved those books uh, cheated most of the time. If I saw that I was going to die, I would turn back and go the other way. Cause, well, you know, I was I was like eight. So what are you going to do? There's an ad for Westfield Comics from uh, Madison, Wisconsin. This was a mail order uh, system. I, I don't know if it's still going on or or still extant. But uh, new books only uh, forty cents, and a new comic back then was sixty cents. So. Yeah, not going to get into that again because we've talked about that over and over and over again on this show. (laughs) Uh, What else do we got here? We have a bullpen bulletins and a Marvel checklist for the month, so I always like seeing those things. Uh, And the subscription ad has Sasquatch holding up Aurora and, man, I cannot remember the fish girl from Alpha Flight. That's going to bug me. But he's got a... Uh, Sasquatch holding both of them up. They're holding a banner that says, Join our Special Subscribers Club. And you got Puck in the background. Now, as this was 1984, and since it was October 1984, that means this probably came out around May or June of that year. So the 1984 Olympics were still pretty big. And on the inside back cover... You've got Collect Olympic Heroes trading cards from M&M's, and you've got these two roided-out M&M's holding up uh, trading cards. So that's kind of neat. And on the back cover, an ad for Dreadstar from Jim Starlin. And I've never read this book. I know eventually Peter David took it over. I've always been kind of interested in it, but this is Better Than Ever from Epic Comics. And that is it for this week, folks. Uh, Come back next week when I will have another random book to discuss. I I may even have somebody with me, if I can work everything out uh, between then and now. Uh, Again, Scott will be back soon, so for the moment, I hope you just like these
0: little missives that
1: I'm throwing out,
0: and thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of the Comic forums.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at ww.totrufreaks.libsen.com